0: The Axe of the Blood God.
1: <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and joining me today is Jason Wilson, who is returning to us again for the second episode of Rose. This must be a new record.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited. Thank you for inviting me once again.
1: Well, people really like you. Also, you've been playing Witcher 3, so this is convenient. Oh, it is. Also joining me today is our Associate Editor, Mike Williams.
2: Hello, hello, hello. How are you folks doing today? Is, is this my first time on? No. Second?
1: No, this is your second time, because you were yes. here talking about Dark Souls 2, Scholar
2: of the First Sin. Ah, yes I was. Yes exactly. I was. Exactly. So now I'm back.
1: I brought Mike and Jason on board today because this is the All Witcher 3 episode. It came out this past Tuesday. People have been playing it. Mike is reviewing it. Jason and I are just kind of playing it. And we're going to kind of just hash through everything that is going on with that game. Mike seems uh, maybe more excited about it than I am, but we'll see how we go. So, okay. First thing I think we should do is kind of introduce... Witcher 3, and if you haven't been paying attention, which is impressive if you haven't, because it's been kind of everywhere, Witcher 3 is an open world RPG um based on Polish mythology uh starring a character named Geralt of Rivia, and he is a witcher. He got his powers from potions. He used to be human. Now he's got uh, I don't know, he's something other than human. He's got these cool cat eyes um, and he hunts monsters who have come into the world through some kind of cosmic cataclysm. So, Jason, could you give us a little overview on the history of the series? Cause I know that you've kind of been playing this, uh, these games for a while now.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I was just looking back at the history of when it came out and it originally came out in 2007, the first Witcher. And do you remember who the wonderful publisher of that was here in the States?
1: Oh, gosh, that's been quite Atari. a while now.
0: Atari! Yeah, I couldn't believe that! This was back when Atari was actually doing, you know, some good games. It had some good RPG licenses, which was very weird. So it came out in 2007 for the PC, Witcher 2 was the follow-up, which came out in 2011 for PC, and in 2012 it hit the 360. So it's a really dark and grim medieval world Um uh, in a way, it, it there's times where it feels like it's set before the Renaissance and sometimes it sometimes feels like it's set in the Dark Ages, but you know, the weaponry, the armor are definitely above the Dark Ages time. But it's um it's very interesting in that, at least in my opinion, there's always been a um high dose of humanity that goes with the darkness of the game, and that makes itself apparent in the choices that Geralt faces. And um unlike other RPGs. It was um really one of the first to really play up the politics of a medieval fantasy world. Uh And then you saw that happening in other RPGs afterwards. And so it kind of yeah. started a trend there. And you can see that was being picked up, especially with Dragon Age. Um It was written by a Polish author, Andrzej Slapkowski. I have no idea if I said that right or not. I'm,
1: I'm impressed that you knew the name off the top of your head.
0: I have it written down.
1: Oh, cheater.
0: <laughs> I knew
2: it. I don't know how to pronounce it either, though, so...
0: No, I have no idea if it, if I got the pronunciation correct or not. Um And from what I understand, he's not exactly happy with the games. No, really? <laughs> Does he
1: just not like video games?
0: I don't think he likes what they did with his work.
2: I mean, because the, the games are really weird, and, and when I was doing the one article about the chronology and stuff, it's like, the games take place after the books... Like the books with Gerald end with Gerald dying, and then the games sort of pick up and take place afterwards. Wait, okay, just to be clear—is <laughs> it Gerald or Gerald? Geralt, sorry. Okay, I, I will say Gerald a couple times. Uh, Gerald is his brother
0: uh, from Queens. <laughs> um, Gerald's what t- happens when you have a bunch of Americans trying to say his name. <laughs>
2: Yeah so so it'll go you know shenanigans uh he did died bunch of wild hunt related stuff then witcher 1 picks up with an amnesiac version of the character and he's still amnesiac in version uh in witcher 2 and then the witcher 3 picks up some more of the books uh characters and plot lines and whatnot
1: yeah, my own history of the series, the first time I ever heard about it was when I was writing news from 1UP. And it seemed like every other day I was writing a news story about the Witcher possibly coming to console. And for a while I was even going to do so, like the original Witcher. But it just never happened. I it, Probably because of Atari. But, and then Witcher, the second time, well, you know, Atari...
0: Oh, Atari bashing is always fun.
1: I mean, it was Atari. I mean, they... I think the year that they were supposed to put out Witcher, they put out what Alone in the Dark, the remake, which was a, a really terrible game. So, and that pretty much killed them again. So, oh yeah, and they also they also had Star Trek Online, which didn't do, do so hot in twenty ten or whatever. So, but yes, I digress. And then the next time I was introduced to The Witcher was through Jason. Um, we got a cop. We had got an advanced copy of Witcher two in the office when we were at GamePro.
0: That's right.
1: And I had, like, what at the time was a supercomputer. And that was, like, kind of my first, like, opportunity to be able to play games at max settings. And it was very exciting. Um, so I played, like, the opening sequences of Witcher 2 on that computer. And it was gorgeous. Um, it still holds up very well today in my estimation. Uh, and it ended up getting really good reviews. Now... I never got that far into Witcher 2. Um, Mike, did you play much Witcher
2: 2? Uh, I played about halfway through Witcher 2. I never finished it. Witcher 2 is another one of those games that, uh, it's always been very cheap, Witcher 2 and Witcher 1. So I have them, and I tried starting the Witcher 1, but that's not, that is not a game that I can go back to. There's just... Pretty janky. Yeah. So, um, but Witcher 2, I enjoyed. I just never got time to finish it before I got to, uh, Witcher 3. But on the bright side, uh, this is the era of YouTube. So you don't actually need to, to play games to catch up with the narrative. Someone has already done a video about it. So that's, that's what I fine.
1: did. <laughs> oh, that's actually what I did. Uh, I watched a number of those videos and I felt all prepared going into Witcher 3. But Jason, you did finish Witcher 2.
0: Yes, I did. I finished it back when I reviewed it, when it came out. And I was, uh, having, I promised myself I'd play it a second time, but I never got around to doing it a second time. But I do remember how, just how impressed I was and how well played, and what I thought at the time was how much more polished and easier it was to control than the first game. And already with the third, I'm seeing that it's even, even easier and more polished to control.
1: I mean, I remember. People or with fans of the first game being kind of annoyed because they claimed that the combat in particular had been stripped down. Was that your impression?
0: Um, I wouldn't say stripped down. I just, I would say that it flowed better. It was easier to control, uh, especially on a keyboard if that's how you were playing it. Um, I played it partly with a keyboard, I played it partly with a gamepad to test both ways out. Um, the way you attacked your enemies was still very difficult to pull it off. You really still had to watch out for the parries, you still had to watch out for the reputses, you still had to make sure that you nailed the character when you attacked.
1: Yeah, one thing that I have to say about uh, The Witcher is that it really nailed the dark medieval look at just the perfect time, because that's so totally in vogue What with Game of Thrones going on right now.
0: Well, you know, you also have that dark look with uh, Dragon Age, and you have that dark look with Dark Souls.
1: But the Dragon Age even looks... Dragon Age definitely looks different, though. Like, Inquisition in particular has a, has a really distinct look. And I wouldn't even call it dark in the Game of Thrones sense. I would definitely call it... Uh, if I were to compare it any, to anything, it's almost... Uh, gosh, I can't even describe it. But it's a little more cartoony, for example.
0: Yeah, but think... Think back that that look has evolved. Oh no,
1: for sure. Like the original Dragon Age Origins was definitely dark in the kind of Game of Thrones sense and also ugly. Um, but Dragon Age has definitely evolved, whereas Game of Thrones has gotten closer and closer to that game of has gotten closer and closer to that Game of Thrones aesthetic. Uh, one thing that I was wondering if you could clear up for me, Jason, because I never got that far into Witcher Two. <clears throat> it wasn't an open world game, was it?
0: No, it wasn't open world, but it was a big one.
1: Like, so you would just travel by map?
0: You could travel by map, and you go from a place to place, and as the story progressed. But it wasn't open in that you could just go through and say, "Okay, well, I'm going to go here now, and then I'm going to go here, and then I'm going to go here."
1: It was like the Muppets travel by map.
2: Yeah, and 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 overall, at least from from what I remember playing of the games, uh and I said that par- uh, partially in my review in progress is. That The Witcher 3 feels like the result of an older CD Projekt Red. A little bit less, uh, I'd say, adventurous and a little bit more mainstream. Like it's open world. Uh, so all of the quests are sort of laid out in that open world style. Uh, it, it plays a lot like actually Inquisition. Uh, Sort of just a different storytelling style. The combat, uh if you've been in that, that Shadows of Mordor, Assassin's Creed feel, it, it feels like right at home in there. It's just, it's very polished, but not as adventurous, I'd say.
0: You know, what it reminds me when it comes to the way it does its open world is two other European role-playing games. And that's the Gothic series. And Two Worlds.
2: I've played Gothic. I've never played Two Worlds, though.
0: In two Worlds is about as cheesy open-world fantasy as you get. Uh, is that the
1: pirate one? The second one was the pirate one, right? No, no, it's a totally different no, game. No,
0: that's, that's Risen.
1: Risen. Oh, God, I always get Two Worlds and Risen confused. Well, well, Gothic apology.
2: and Risen, weren't they by... One, one of them was by the, the same people? Like, I... I think Risen is by the people who used to do Gothic, and Gothic is now by different people.
0: Yeah, Gothic, it, it's Piranha Bytes. They do Gothic and Risen.
1: So I guess that kind of leads me to my first question. Do you feel that The Witcher 3 has done a good job of transitioning to open world, and is this a good move for the series? What do you think, Mike?
2: I mean... uh, I think it's a, a good move for the series, but that's because I'm, I'm very much an open world, uh, type of guy. I really enjoy, uh, enjoy playing open world games, and I, I don't really have an affinity for the older Witcher games that some other players, uh, may. It's kind of like, uh, when, uh, Tomb Raider 2013 came out. I really enjoyed Tomb Raider 2013 because I enjoy games like Uncharted, which was in that same vein, but people who enjoyed the original Tomb Raider feel like they lost something in that transition. So, I think it's a good thing. I'm not sure if hardcore Witcher fans may think it's a good thing. Well, and what do you think, Jason?
0: Well, I think it's a good thing, but for different reasons that... Um I think other people may. To me, it seems to fit more of the style that you get of European role-playing games this way. It also seems to me to fit more of what the role of what a Witcher does. Because a Witcher might have their own agenda and be doing their own things, but, you know, at the heart of it, they're monster hunters, and they travel this world looking for monsters to kill and making money off it. And how do you help reach that? Well, by making it an open-world game where you can go to more different places. What I think that works really well with what CD Projekt has done here is that they've made many of these little quests in the game matter to the world and fit into the world in a way that most open-world games don't.
1: Yeah, we were talking about this in the last episode, Jason, about the nature of these open-world quests and how Dragon Age Inquisition padded out its content a little too much with fetch quests. Um, it, it still had some good meaty side quests, but the fetch quest quotient was quite high. Whereas Witcher 3, I mean, you go to your notice board, and most of the quests were immediately interesting to me. Not to mention the hunts, which are, in my opinion, the best part of the game. We'll get back, we'll get to those in a little bit. So,
0: um, are we allowed to talk much about specific quests here? Because there's Uh, one I really love. How far is it Oh, it's in the first um ten hours
1: huh. go ahead, spoiler alert uh,
0: if you're like really
1: determined to avoid spoilers, but this isn't gonna really be a story
0: no it's spoiler, not it's right. not a story spoiler, but it shows just how well the quests fit into this world <laughs> and it, and it, and you take a look, so you got the Lord around the the white orchard area, and the Lord had a hunter who worked for him, and you find this hunter. And he's trying to kill some stray dogs that have been running around and causing problems, causing terrors. And then he will, in turn, help you track down the griffin by pointing out an area where the griffin had killed a bunch of soldiers. And what's really good about this is you learn more about this world. You learn about this lord. This lord who's been referred to a couple times uh, up to this point in other stories, quests, and talking to people. And then you find that one of the dead people you've come across was also working for the lord is the person who sold out the hunter not so much sold out but kind of said what was going on the hunter and the lord's son had a relationship and homosexuals and dark fantasy worlds don't usually have very good endings to their stories and the son hung himself and the hunter kind of just still feeling horrible about this and he finally unburdens himself to you after a while And you learn about this area and you learn about the people who live here. Just while you're sitting here trying to kill some dogs and then get some more information to help you track down this griffin. And it feels completely like it's part of the world. And that's how a lot of the quests so far that I've encountered have been. They all fit into what's going on around you.
1: Yeah, you know, when it comes to Witcher 3, my first impression was it gave me a whiff of Red Dead Redemption. And I think that might just be because I was riding around on my horse, uh, through foliage and scrubland and that kind of thing. I was thinking
0: about this yesterday.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. What I was thinking?
0: thinking about how it reminds me of Red Dead Redemption. And it goes beyond the horse for, cause to me, it was just the way that the story of all these different characters in that world fit all together into the world.
1: Yeah. Well, I was, I kept waiting for to come upon somebody who was being hanged from a tree. And then I would try to shoot down uh the news before they strang- got strangled, but then I always failed because I was never good at that one. Oh, I was and about to say. Come up- and then I would come upon it again and again and again.
2: I was about to say, you come up against a lot of hung people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, no, I, I can't comment on that because I still to this day have never played Red Dead Redemption, and everyone keeps telling me to. But when what? do we have? Chip,
1: Pro, stop right here, <laughs> Mike. You are a open world aficionado, and you have not played the single best open world game of the past five
2: years. Uh, that that that. Okay, see, I was about to say that'd be Sleeping Dogs, but I can't comment because Sleeping Dogs. Really, dude, Sleeping Dogs is amazing. Uh, so tight, right. so to- so focused. Okay. That's why I love Sleeping Dogs. Look, and I
1: have no hate for Sleeping Dogs, but I don't think it's better than Red Dead Redemption.
2: Yeah, see? see well, but I have to go and play it sometime.
1: Acts of the Open World Blood God. <laughs> no, you should totally go play Red Dead Redemption. It's a great uh, spaghetti western uh game. And I think maybe the reason that I'm getting this feeling from Witcher 3 is that when I'm riding around... The open world, it all feels really populated. You know, you ride into town. There are people who are, you know, going about their business doing things. And then you ride back out into the prairies. And then maybe you find an abandoned town that's been taken over by ghouls. So now you're going to take kill the ghouls and you're going to smoke them out and everything. And it makes... uh, Red Dead Redemption was one of those games that I just enjoyed riding around on my horse. And I didn't necessarily have to do anything. And people keep telling me that's why they like GTA, but I could never really get that vibe from it, except in GTA Vice City. I got that feeling from Witcher 3 as well. I just enjoyed moving around. And it was very different from Dragon Age Inquisition in that Dragon Age Inquisition feels a lot more focused. Like, you go into an area, and yeah, you're exploring, but there's exploring with a point. You're, like, setting up camps, you're you're opening up the map, you're looking for what the quests are going to be, and then when you're done with those quests, you move on. Yeah. Whereas Witcher 3, you feel like you're in a world.
2: Yeah, I was about to say, Dragon Age, definitely in the, the composition and the way they build their levels, feels very gamey. Um, In the same way that, like like, a World of Warcraft feels... Like, each level looks good, but you definitely feel more that it's a game and they're focusing you in certain directions than, like Witcher, like you said, it feels more like this is a place and you're inhabiting it and there are other people that live there and you're just sort of passing through.
0: I love the design of the villages so far. Um, and so that they're just not a bunch of buildings, hovels, huts thrown in one place. They're spread out. And they sprawl a little bit. And in, they sprawl in the way that I've seen on maps of old villages. Uh, You know, with closer people living inside, you know, the folks who do the smithing, the folks who have the inn, etc. And then you've got these farmers out on the outskirts, and even further out, doing their work. And it, it resembles, it looks like just what you would see, at least in some medieval maps I've looked at, in layouts of things. And... It really impressed me that they do that, because you don't see that from a lot of fantasy games. You know, think of Skyrim. You know, all their cities, plop, everything's right there.
1: I mean, kind of, but yeah, I see what your point is, so with Jason, with Witcher 3, um, and I also like that in addition to the little kind of hovels that are are around around the map and isolated huts, you also have these kind of little castle towns that you can go into where, like, petty lords live. And then, of course, there's the big cities that occasionally dot the landscape. So it does feel like a real world. And I suspect that at least some of that has to do with the fact that it's designed, it's developed by a European continental developer who is kind of familiar with that history and familiar with that terrain. So having talked about the open world nature of the game a little bit. Let's get back and let's get into the combat, which well, Jason, and or Mike and I were talking about this in the in From Us to You our other podcast and I'm not a huge fan of the combat in this game I was gonna say that it's kind of clumsy it doesn't feel pretty particularly deep. Uh, I feel like I'm flailing around a lot. And it takes too long to, uh, you're too weak early. And when I say too weak early, I mean, it just feels ridiculously expensive to upgrade any of my stuff. And I'm about, I don't know, like five hours into the game. I'm on at least the second major quest, I've, like, I've bagged a few hunts, and I feel like I am constantly, like, having to fight to hit the level requirement. And to me, the combat and the leveling balance go hand in hand. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, Jason.
0: Well, I like the combat. The, the key to the Witcher combat is preparing before you, 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 run in. You gotta get your potions ready. You gotta get your spells ready. And I like that this time around it chooses whether you need the steel sword or a silver sword beforehand. But you can still, for example, pull out a crossbow if you want to use that when you go in. Um, such as to get something's attention from range and draw one individual creature out from a group of creatures, which I've done a few times to isolate it better. Um, but if you don't use all this stuff in conjunction, it, it, it makes combat very difficult. Um, and especially if you don't use potions to prepare yourself ahead of time.
1: Yeah, I guess I just, I understand that, that those elements do add some death to the combat, but it's also not super It's pretty obvious, I suppose I could say. Like, I just go into the bestiary and go, "Uh uh-huh, okay, it's vulnerable to this spell. I should probably use this potion. And, okay, I got the idea. And then you go in and it pretty much works. It's not an auto-kill by any means, but it just it doesn't feel super... it, It just doesn't feel like there's that much there.
0: In comparison to what?
2: Any other RPG. See, I, I, you, you, said this before in the other one and, and I will agree. It's actually, as I said, combat feels almost within that, that Assassin's Creed, Batman, Shadows of Mordor vibe. Uh, and it took a while, a couple of hours before I really started gelling with it. Like there's a feeling of weight and there's a, a good sense of timing when you can start, uh, switching up between fast and strong attacks and signs to sort of, off-balance enemies especially human enemies like I, i can at the point when i finished the game had a good sense of oh i can throw a strong attack oh his sword is away now i can hit him with a quick attack um it's not super deep but i am enjoying it more than say i enjoyed dragon age inquisition's combat which which i i just felt wrote and i just sort of It was a thing that I did to get to the next story thing.
1: I liked Dragon Age uh combat, especially when I was fighting bosses. And I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that the abilities were just more interesting. I liked having a party under my control. I liked that the party had specific roles. And I... I mean, it felt like an MMORPG. What do you want?
0: Yeah, but that's where its weaknesses lie. And it's really hard to compare the combat of a game where it's party-based to a combat where you're controlling just one character who has their own abilities and their own things, especially abilities that are very different than what you have. Yeah, but people
1: accuse Dragon Age Inquisition of being just a hack-and-slash, and and I think Witcher is a hack-and-slash. I don't think there's a lot of strategy to well, it.
0: Well, you know, action RPGs I think that are a I, lot I, of hack and slash.
1: I'll just give you an example. I was playing last night and I was fighting the, uh, the cock trice and I was trying to be as strategic as possible and I prepped with potions and, and everything and I went in and at the end of the day what it came down to was essentially I brute force the fight. Um, I, Realized that if I dodged around too much, it was just gonna, it was going to keep hitting me and I wasn't gonna be in, able to do enough damage. So I was able to more or less wade in, stun it with my, my, um, my force push. <laughs> that's, that's cause that's, that's just what it is, basically. It's hard. Uh, to stun him. And then I, I wailed away at him until he was dead. And, okay, yeah, I'm not that far into the game and they're, are more skills kind of to unlock, though so far it seems like it's mostly buffing the existing abilities. But did
0: you did you just listen to that whole breakdown? So you went into the combat, you took mm-hmm. a strategy, you noticed mm-hmm. that strategy wasn't going to work, you adjusted your strategy, and you found one that worked. That was a six-step process, cat.
1: That <laughs> That's ended more with than... me realizing that I was overthinking it, and just going... Kicking the crap off. Yeah, of them. but that's that's the thing. all it was.
0: That that was how you approached it. It doesn't mean itself that it's a weak system. That was just how you approached that one combat. And the fact that you do have these options to size up your foe to see what works to see what doesn't work—that to me leads it to more than just a hack and slash.
2: Which, no, by isn't. the way, is is not what I I did. I actually did a lot more dodging. Like uh, when it would fly, hit it with the crossbow. It comes down, I get a couple of hits in. Dodge when it's on the ground, then it would fly again, rinse, repeat. So I I had a completely different, like, tactic for dealing with that first boss, which is actually one of the easier bosses of the...
0: For the griffin? uh,
1: Yeah. You're talking about the griffin?
2: Yeah. Yeah, the griffin's pretty easy.
1: Um,
0: The the griffin wasn't that challenging, and you also had, you know, if if you were smart, you had Vesemir there to play it off, and you could attack it from its butt.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty much it. It it, it is very much a consensus, and I I said that in our review, like the combat moment-to-moment, it's not amazing. Uh, It's more, uh, I'd say, active, um, but it's pretty easy unless you're actually tackling a Witcher contract, which are by far the highlights of the games. In the same way that... uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, for the most part, I I breezed through Dragon Age Inquisition perfectly fine, except for dragon fights.
1: It's funny. Skyrim does not have a good reputation for combat. And yet, when I think about Skyrim, I feel like I enjoyed the battles more. And I say this because I felt like I had more options for customizing my characters. In being able to go more magic-heavy versus going more melee-heavy versus going more range-heavy?
0: Well, yeah, but that's because that was the system that the Elder Scrolls has set up and let you make all these different builds.
1: Isn't that the essence of an RPG? Not necessarily. To be able to go in and create your character and tackle a battle any way you want, as opposed to being pigeonholed into an action game? That's
0: not how the Japanese do RPGs.
1: That's not true at all. There, I mean, just look at Etrian Odyssey, for God's sake. They do That's it that way.
0: That and they do it the other way, too, where a story based, based on your role. I, and, I
2: would, go ahead.
0: And, uh, you know, I would definitely say here with, with The Witcher is, you, you, you've got to remember, you do have some magic, but you're not a mage. And no. so expecting to have a magic build is not a good expectation to bring into it. But you still have a lot of flexibility in there. And when I think about the combat, there's one thing that I found. I found a bandit. And this bandit, you know, oh yeah, bandits they're weak and everything, but he was smart and he was good. He had a sledge. And he used this two headed sledge as an effective shield. And he had to get around how he was using that sledge to attack him. And I want to yeah. find any game where you could deal with a bandit who was able to repulse your attacks as easily as he did and find a way to get around to him.
1: I think I know what you're talking about, actually. Uh, is that the little hovel with the deserters at it? No. Okay, because they had a guy with a sledgehammer there, too, who was using his sledgehammer to repulse my attacks. You know what ended up happening? And I think it was a glitch. <laughs> I was able to hide around... a. I I was able to get them to chase me around the, the building uh just by kiting them along, and that left their archer alone. And then I ran up and I killed the archer. Like, just hack slash, hack slash, hack slash, archer's dead. Now they don't have any ranged attacks. And then I was able to just sit back and snipe them from the other side of the fence, and they wouldn't come after me for some reason. I don't know what was broken about it. I, I, but I
2: will say, in Skyrim, uh, for the most part, I actually went through Skyrim the same way I went through a, um, Oblivion before that, which was Frost Spells and um, the Bow and Arrow. Um, but I, I'd say Skyrim's enemies tended to be a, a bit more freeform, less, uh, um, rigid in their, their movements, which also led to some interesting encounters where an enemy would just end up killing themselves or jumping off a cliff and dying or stuff like that, uh, yeah, look, and, and that—that's That's that's Elder Scrolls. It's a little bit more random. I Which don't one?
1: mind a good hack and slash RPG. I like Ease. Ease is a very good game. I think having played Dark Souls, Witcher feels simple to me. Okay, it I can. Agree feels with that. overly simple. Well, I, I think a lot of
0: games that. will appear simple compared to Dark Souls.
1: Yeah, um, but it doesn't have anything behind it. It doesn't have anything to back it up. And so, when I just see a really simple hack and slash RPG, in that regard, I, I get, it
0: kind of puts me to sleep. And you're talking about the combat to
1: back it up, correct? The combat. Yeah. Yeah. There's Cause... nothing behind the combat. There's no customization or anything. I mean, okay, there is, in the sense that I'm putting ability points in and I, I guess I can, Upgrade my weapons, but th- that's really not that much.
0: Well, I would disagree there. I think you can do it a lot and you can make separate builds inside what it allows. It's mm-hmm. just that flexibility that you're looking for may not be there.
2: No, it's not. Yeah, because no, uh, uh, once you get uh, pretty far into it, you'll, you'll, your abilities will diverge, uh, pretty significantly, especially if you put a lot of ability points in certain signs. Uh, but no, it's not. Uh, you can do whatever you want. Uh, because, like I said before, you're you're the thing with The Witcher is you have to be fine with playing as Gerald, not as whoever you want to be.
1: Gerald, his uh cousin from Queens.
0: <laughs> I think another thing to remember too, uh, and and this can be a flaw is that the customization system is about as flexible as Geralt's attitude is himself. Which is to say not. (laughs) Which is to say, quite stubborn.
1: I mean, fair enough. I guess, to me, so Mike, we were talking in From Us to You about me, about going into games with expectations. There is a certain kind of RPG that I like. And admittedly, a lot of it is party-based, turn-based, um, high degree of customization, the ability to create my own character. So the Witcher is the opposite of what I want in that regard. And in that regard, I may just be predisposed to not like it. But on the other hand, as I already said, there are better examples of an action-based RPG, and while I think The Witcher does a lot of other things really well, I don't think the combat, which is the bread and butter of the game, let's be honest, really stacks up.
2: Uh, I think it's about as bread and butter. Like I said, with it's, I think what you and I are on the opposite ends of this with Dragon Age and Witcher. Uh, I find Witcher's combat more engaging, whereas Dragon Age, like I said before, was just something I did in order to get to my next thing, where I could do more talking with all of the great characters.
1: And yet, Dragon Age Inquisition's combat felt more impactful to me,
2: and I think that was just yeah. See, I, did, I didn't like feel like any of that with with Inquisition. I, I like think Inquisition. it was just
1: the I think it was just the abilities. I think it was the abilities yeah, that had yeah. more
2: oof. They they are much bigger, more magical like you throw a fireball, like, it's a big fireball. Where, I like a big fireball Whereas, you know, he casts um igni and it's like if you haven't bumped it up, it's just like
0: yeah. fire. Yeah. It's like <laughs> a it's like a first level burning hands.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: Well, Having just spent a whole bunch of time complaining about the combat, I will say that I like the creature contracts. It, just having gone through a couple of them. So, just going over how the average creature contract works. You go to a notice board or something, you see a contract saying, oh, this monster is terrorizing the, like it's hurting me, it's terrorizing the countryside, whatever. And then, so you go to the person who put up the notice, and they give you some clues, and then, so you go usually to a place where the monster attacked somebody, and you use your witcher senses to check the ground, and you look at, it's like, oh, okay, so it attacked this, and it hit that, and here's some tracks, and eventually, you figure out what the monster is, and then you have to prepare for the monster, and then you have to flush it out, and then you gotta kill it. Now, I haven't fought anything more advanced than the griffin or the cockatrice, uh, both of which are very similar in that they are flying creatures that kind of swipe at you with their wings. But I imagine there are more advanced monsters out there, and I'm looking forward to fighting them. There's... And those encounters, like those quests, to me, are just wonderfully designed.
2: There, there's one you'll probably get into particularly I, I The quest, I think, is like Lady in the Well or something like that, uh, which is a Spectre uh, type.
1: Oh, I killed. Oh, yeah. I totally took her out, yeah.
2: Yeah. And the Noon Wraith. Yeah, the Noon Wraith. Yeah, the first time you we run under that. And the first time I went up into it, which gave me a more appreciation for the game, like I said, I didn't prepare for the Griffin. I just sort of, like, Dodged and did timing. The Dark Soul skills helped me there, but the Noon Wraith—like, if you try to come at her not prepared, I died the first time. I was just like, "He's so dead."
0: Yeah, I, I did the, I did the.
1: <laughs> oh, you did.
0: I did every single quest I could do in White Orchard before I, yeah, before I did, before I left White Orchard. I did every quest I could before. Take um, ticket on the Griffin and that was the noon rate. And that was that was such a fantastic exchange of quest and activities you do. And that's where you really see and I don't know if they got this because of their work with WB Games, but you can see how the Witcher kind of brings some parts from Batman into it.
2: He is medieval Batman.
0: Yes, he is. <sighs> Batman. No, but it's not Batman in I'm the Batman. It's even though how,
1: he sounds like him.
0: It's in how he investigates.
1: No, yeah, you're right.
0: And and, and that whole way he he finds the story behind what happened there. I, I found it very I found it moving. I really did.
1: Yes. It was it was a sad story.
0: And and that's where I really love how again getting we, back to where we Do we, we want, to
1: want to like actually explain how the quest goes? Or do or do you think that'll spoil too much?
0: Well, it's pretty early on, so I would imagine enough people have seen it, but have I've played it.
1: But you you come across a person who mentions that their daughter like is sick from drinking poisonous water and are now being haunted by a spectre. Am I right? Something uh, to that correct.
2: Effect? Correct. They they're they're basically saying, Yeah, we're we're pretty much being haunted And I don't think my daughter is gonna live. It's the well. Can you go do something about it?
1: So you gotta go to the well, and you have to wait until the noon wraith shows up. And then if you just attack the noon wraith, you're not gonna do any damage to it, really. And so you have, once you figure out that it's a noon wraith, you realize, okay, well, it has something binding it to the village. So you have to go looking around the village, and then eventually you find, uh, the, it's like a ring or something to that effect. A bracelet, yeah. And you have to go diving, like you have to go into the well. All right, yeah, you have to go into the well to get the bracelet. Because you
0: notice that the weight of the bracelet pulled off the arm from the skeleton where the woman was hanging.
1: Right, so there's a bunch of swimming around and eventually get out. And you're like, okay, I've got the bracelet, now I have to burn the body. And this is your opportunity to go get prepped. And you have to go and... You really want to go get a spectral potion. Spectral um, oil, yes. Spectral oil, because otherwise you're not really going to be able to hit it, um, for any meaningful damage. And then you set the body on fire. Oh, and of course learning the history of the, the ghost is pretty sad as well. Um, because the whole thing of the Noon Wraith is it's former brides who died the day before their wedding, their wedding day. And why they're wearing a wedding dress, I have no idea. But they're pretty, they're pretty freaky looking. And so, and then you fight the, the noon race, and it's not a hard fight, but it's a memorable quest to say the least. And then you take its head.
2: (laughs) You get to carry it around with you. Yeah. And the first time. I got a
1: nice little collection of heads at this point.
2: Yeah. And see, the first time I was feeling, I was feeling good. I was like, nah, I mean, I pretty much breezed through every other fight. So I was like, I'll just burn her body, and I did, and then she came, and then I died because I couldn't do any damage, and then the second time I tried her, lost, and then I ran, Uh, and she chased me, actually, a pretty good ways before she turned around and was like, nah, I'm done. So.
0: You know, I had a similar encounter with her, because I was trying to investigate the area, and it appears, and I got into weapons range and it attacked me. And so I started to run away and I go inside a building and then it comes inside. I'm going, Oh crap. I didn't think it would do that. So I get out of the building and it follows me and we start chasing each other around the building. I mean, think think, you know you know, think Bugs Bunny cartoon here. Uh we, we go around it three or four times and I'm finally able to make a dash and I get away and I come back and I Again, have this similar exchange where it's chasing me through the, the, these few buildings. And I'm finally able to get it to where, okay, well, let's let's see what I can do. And so there's a trick here, because you can use the uh, yard inside to trap spirits. And when you trap them, you can hit them and get some damage, and then she goes away, and you can do the rest of the quest. And then she comes back for the big fight.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, having, having spent a whole bunch of time praising how of the, how the, the, the monster hunts go, one thing that's really, one thing that I've kind of gotten to start to not like about Witcher is the, the Witcher senses, which you hold, so I'm playing the Xbox One, you hold LT, and you go and you, you're able to see like highlighted objects, and a lot of quests are like, Search the room with your witcher senses, and then it becomes very find the pixel. And if there's one thing that I really hate, it's find the pixel quests. And in short doses, small doses, it can be fine, but they use it a lot. It's like a core part of the uh, of the quests, and I get that it's part of the witcher's identity. But things like Track following the tracks can be kind of annoying because they don't stretch off far enough so I'm always kind of feeling really clumsy trying to follow them and they can get lost really easily and then I'm having to kind of scrounge around looking for them and I don't find those elements particularly interesting Um but the game leans on this mechanic quite a bit what do you guys think of the
2: Witcher senses?
0: I like them. They don't bother me much. Um, you know, I uh, kind of like the tracking.
2: Uh, I, I can say uh, yes. The the thing you're talking about with the tracks uh, can at some points, like if you're just facing slightly in the wrong direction, you might not see them, or they might just be far enough away. Um, yeah, that that that's going to carry on for a while. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> Oh, joy. (laughs) Did you
0: boost, did you boost your, your cat eye
2: stats? Uh, I did, which makes it a lot easier. I I actually played for a while because I decided to dig really far into it. And I turned off, uh, most of the HUD actually, just to see if you could actually play without most of the HUD. And the tracking thing actually does work pretty well when there's no HUD on there. Um, but yeah, you're still sort of like wandering around in an area and looking around with your witcher senses until you see red and then you're following that and yeah.
0: Now, I'm playing on PS4. Cats play on Xbox One. You on PS4 as well, Mike?
2: Uh, yes, I was on, uh, PS4.
0: So, I, you know, the one thing I really hate is the text. It's so goddamn small.
1: Yeah, it's itty bitty. <laughs> I've, ended up moving up, like, right next to my TV so I can read it.
0: I'm sitting on the floor half the time like I was six years old.
1: (laughs) Ah,
2: Memories.
0: Yeah. Did you have a bowl of cereal, too? Huh? No, I didn't have have a a bowl bowl of cereal. cereal. I had a bottle of beer.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was the the one thing uh, that everyone said um, afterwards that I did not get until I decided to sit where people would normally sit, because the way my setup is, is I have the TV that I play on next to my other TV, and I, that's on a desk with a chair. So it's almost analogous to playing on a computer.
0: Yeah, sounds like it.
2: So um, when, like, others got a hold of it, and they were like, man, the text is really small. I was like, I don't... Like, for a while there, there's an option to actually make the text smaller. I actually did that because it it, it saves up more space on the screen. Because I'm like right up against the thing, like I'm I'm just like PC level. So that's that's one of those things that um, uh, if you're wondering in reviews sometimes why reviewers miss certain things, sometimes it's simply just our setup.
1: So I'm playing on the Xbox One. You two are playing on the PS4. How are the loading times for you guys?
2: Uh say 30 seconds to a minute uh are they noticeable for you i mean yeah i mean they're 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 Mm -hmm. noticeable it's not like the longest uh loading times i've ever had but it's definitely like okay now we're we're loading long enough
0: for me to go to my fridge get a beer pop the top come back and sit
2: yeah
1: we're on year three of the new consoles, and I feel like my Xbox One is chugging just to keep up with this game.
0: It, I don't feel like mine is chugging. I just it it just there's some loading times, and I haven't played a PC copy yet, and I'm really interested in seeing how they how they differ.
1: I don't want to go all PC master race on everybody, but if you got the rig to support it, I would definitely play it on the PC.
2: I mean, this this uh, Witcher. Is one of those games yeah. where, like, people are talking about like graphical downgrades. Look, if you care about that kind of thing, go play it on the PC. The people who are playing it on the consoles either don't have a rig that's strong enough or don't really care that much about it.
1: Yeah, I'm running into some noticeable glitches with the Xbox One version. Um, lots of clipping, hands going through objects, and that kind of thing. Um, geometry, level, ge- uh. Geometry getting all messed up, character models, like the camera kind of being at awkward angles. Um and then also glitches like the one that I described where I just couldn't get the the deserters to come after me, so I was able to sit there and snipe them with my bow and arrow. So
0: Yeah, I haven't had many problems with glitches. I uh you know, this is the first time I've played the series on a console. Uh I could have mm-hmm. played The Witcher Two a second time on a the 360, if I had so chosen. And I chose the PS4 this time because I knew it would have a fun, engaging story. I want my wife
2: to see it and experience it.
1: The funny thing is that it feels like it's ideal for the console because it's basically an action game.
2: Yeah, I, I, I've ran into a couple clipping issues and some other stuff, but otherwise I didn't... Um, the biggest glitch I saw was uh, I was killing a camp of cannibals, and there was a head... That was floating, and then on the ground there were a pair of legs that obviously belonged to that same head that were standing still. <laughs> so uh, I actually oh. took a picture of that because, yay, PS4 and Xbox One, you can take screenshots now. <laughs>
1: well, it is an open-world game, so it's—I I guess glitches are to be expected.
0: So you know, we've talked about—we've talked about some of the darkness. We've talked about. Um some of the poignance and how you know some of the quests actually do get a little moving. Uh what do you feel about the humor so far?
1: I haven't really noticed it to be honest.
0: Oh. Uh, so you didn't think you didn't think the Chamberlain scene was hilarious? No. Oh my god, I was <laughs> rolling. I was laughing so really? hard. It's like, oh my god, the Witcher has a C three PO in it.
1: He is very C three PO. Um as humor goes, it was okay. <laughs> um I did pick the frilliest shirt that I could possibly get.
2: Really? Frilly shirt. Speaking of, I still have those in my inventory because I'm one of those people in RPGs. I'm like, what if I need this?
1: What- I've been sitting that. No, I do too. I've been terrified of selling them.
0: Actually, I've kept them just in case you want to use them later with um, with Yennefer. Like go on a date? Well she said she'd like to, but black velvet.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now now that is an actual problem I have. Inventory in that game. Um there's no way word- getting a little full for you? Oh god, yes. It'll it'll get full for you. Trust me, when you get to uh the Witcher's version of the Hinterlands, well I mean you're there now. When you start really going in there and start digging into some of the camps and, and other little nooks you can find your inventory will fill up real quick. and You know, that
1: was one thing that Pillars of Eternity got, right, Jason? Yeah. The inventory management there was excellent, right? Oh,
0: yeah, it was really good.
1: I never had a problem with it at all, and everything was nicely organized in its own little buckets. If there's one thing that I hate in an RPG, it's bad inventory management.
2: Yeah. Yep, and there's no sorting. None. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, there is. It's under categories like alchemy, crafting.
2: Yeah, there, people, there are the tabs, but objects. like, like, so the problem I had is when you're doing alchemy and crafting, like, the alchemy and crafting tab at some point is just full of stuff. And I never got rid of most of the stuff because I never knew, like, it, the, the alchemy and crafting is so wide and varied. That I never knew if I might need something, and there was no yes, like. Yes, I
0: totally like that. I started a spreadsheet.
2: See, and Nerd. that's and, and and there's no like, uh, like FF14 with the inventory there. When you're done with the stuff, like you can throw it in a box, and that box is separate from your inventory. And when you craft, it just pulls from the box. Whereas with this, I'm just carrying around, like, bags and bags of weeds and rocks and hide that I can't sort.
0: I can't even see it well enough to sort it.
2: Well, that's unfortunate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so tiny, and I can't, you know, when I gather something, I can't tell what it is unless I'm really close up. So, so
2: so yeah. When you get when you get into the like mid to late game, it's just like oh oh god.
1: Speaking of <laughs> mid to late game, um, having played quite a lot of the game, kind of what are your overall thoughts?
2: Uh, like I said in the review, um. And I, and I keep comparing it because it's really just another side of that same coin. Like, Dragon Age was very much about, you gather your crew of awesome people and you go out and you're the hero and you save the world. And
0: Justice League Gribdark.
2: Yeah. And Witcher is very much the exact opposite. All, all Geralt really cares about is saving his surrogate family, and the world saving stuff just happens to come as a side effect of that. It's a, it's a very, even, even towards the end, it's a very personal story that gets bigger, but it's still pretty much, you're usually deciding, do I care about this other person, or do I want to save the family member that I was here to actually save in the first place? So, uh, it's a, it's a very different type of story sometimes than, than what you would see in like Bioware or, or some, uh, other RPGs where it's like, here's your crew, go save the world. What do you think, Jason?
0: Well, I haven't gotten to the mid game yet, so I can't say that, but I love that it's personal. I love that you're going out there and you have people you care about. I love that you have a hero who loves, and he does. And it, 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 to me, it's very appealing, and it's nice to see that.
1: Yeah, for I suppose Gerald of Rivia is a decent character. Um, he's all right. Um, I as for the rest of the game, it's it's okay. Um, and when I. It's nicely designed. It has a lovely open world, though, that is becoming less novel as time goes on. Um, I really like the monster hunts. I think the quest design is very good. And the story is solid, uh, so far. I just don't think there's a lot of meat to this game. And I'm, I really want something to sink my teeth into when it comes to an RPG. And I can understand why people, like, would like Witcher for different reasons. I can totally understand that people are okay with kicking back and playing more of a hack and slash RPG, um, and making strategic choices, but mostly ceding control of their character, uh, outside of some fairly basic level, uh, skill trees and that sort of thing, and equipment, um, gathering, I just—it's okay. <laughs> I will—I'll keep playing. I'll see how I feel about it when I'm done. It was about this point in Dragon Age Inquisition when I was saying about the same thing when I ended up really liking
2: it. So about to say shaking my damn head, shaking. You really
1: my- like this game?
2: I, I do. I do. I—I I don't think it's perfect. Uh, it's definitely got some issues. Um, but it's good. I, I'm, it is slotting in right next to Inquisition for me.
1: When you say has some issues, you're referring to the inventory management?
2: Uh, inventory management, probably the moment to moment play, uh, wherein sometimes you'll get bogged down, and, and the same thing happened to me in, in Inquisition and a lot of open world games where I'm just sort of moving from icon to icon, uh, which is probably, m- more of a function of how I play than a function of how the designers intended me to play the game. Like, I'll, I'll move from, oh, here's a quest. What's the next closest quest in this area? Okay, I'll do that. What's the next closest other thing in this area? Okay, I'll do that. I just sort of, uh, it's kind of like cleaning a whiteboard from one end to the other. And, like, when I got, uh, in Dragon Age, when you were in the Hinterlands, a lot of people, uh, ended up trying to complete the Hinterlands before moving on to other stuff. Uh, which was not a great experience. Uh, and sometimes I fall into that rut.
1: I find that interesting because I am so totally the opposite. <laughs> I'm like, um, the the Y wing pilot, stay on target, stay on target. <laughs> Loosen up, cat. No, <sighs> and then Darth Vader blows me up.
2: Yeah, and, and this okay. is this is why I haven't um this is why I haven't done uh, mm-hmm. like pillars and stuff like that. Like, because when I was in Divinity Original Sin, that's how I played. Like, I will scour the entire thing, and that takes forever.
1: Hey. It's funny. And when I think about when I think about this game, it really is a well designed open world. And it does have some terrific quests and things to do. And given how many bad open world games there are, it almost feels churlish to go, it's just okay to a game that obviously took a lot of effort and time to design. I guess it's so far, it's just not really speaking to me. Well, what do you think, Jason? Oh,
0: it's really speaking to me. But for me, it's because of how well everything you're doing is merging into this world. And I I think it's it, it's got some clunky stuff. It definitely has some clunky writing. Um sure likes its F words. Uh, but it's got some wit, and it's got some charm, and it's got some emotion in it. And I'm really digging all that. And this could also be about how I play. Overworld games, where I don't kind of look at it as a list. I just kind of look at my quest and say, oh, well, that one seems fun. I'm going to do that one now. And it's like, oh, this one seems cool. Or it's like, oh, I saw that place over there. I really wanted to see what it was about. Let's go over there right now and take a look at it. Um, Maybe that's just because I'm a little too easy on Surprise and Delight, and I'm finding it everywhere here, but um, I'm, I'm really digging this. I'm really digging this. I just wish I could read it.
1: The story of Gerald of Rivia. Got to be able to read it. Jason, where can we find you?
0: Well, you can find me at GamesBeat, which is VentureBeat's gaming arm. And you can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore Wilson, all lowercase.
2: And Mike, where can we find you? You can find me at usgamer.net and you can also find me on Twitter as, at AutomaticZen.
1: And of course you can find me at the underscore catbot and if you have your own thoughts on Witcher 3 send us a drop us a line at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or send me a message on Twitter or just leave a comment in our show notes over at usgamer.net Check out our YouTube channel, usgamer.net, where I have um, kind of like uh, I'm calling it a game slice um, of Witcher 3 which is based on the stream that I did yesterday so you can see me playing it in real time and failing miserably at the card game which we totally forgot to discuss. Uh, spoiler it's not as good as Triple Trials. <laughs> Naturally go to our Twitch channel at USGamerNet and please re- uh, rate and review our Podcast over on iTunes. The more visibility we get, the more people we listen to, the more people will hear the gospel of RPGs. Next week, I'm going to have Kirk Hamilton from Kotaku on here. We're going to talk more Witcher 3 and also Destiny House of Wolves. We're going to get some Destiny talk here on this podcast. So, assuming that works out, please look forward to that. Until then, thanks to Jason and to Mike for joining me. I've been Cat Bailey. And until next time, happy adventures.